Hi, I'm J.D. Gershbein. My company is Owlish Communications, and since 2006, I have partnered with professionals and their companies who seek a greater understanding of LinkedIn. I connected with Pablo because his email address told me that I should connect with Pablo. And on the basis of an email address alone, with you should as the name, what could I possibly do? In the year or so that I've come to know Pablo since the onset of the global pandemic, I have found him to be not only uh, an incredible personality, but a man who truly walks his talk as a community builder and content marketer. What led us to the podcast here today is really just a classic case of building a relationship, trusting someone on the other end of a webcam, and becoming friends. I, I don't look at this as something that I'm doing just uh, to be a guest on a podcast, but something I'm doing to advance a relationship uh, and support my friend as uh, he builds his platform. Glad I met him. Glad I connected with him. And you should connect with Pablo as well. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, in my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way. And in that, I can learn from him. This means every single person you've ever interacted with has done something slightly different than every single other person and therefore has something to teach you and you, my friend, have something to teach them. This means every conversation you have is both a chance to learn something and a chance to make an impact. Every room full of people you walk into is both a library and your stage. And the better you get at getting to know people, the value they each inherently bring, and how to share it with others, the greater the impact you can make on the world. My name is Pablo Gonzalez, and I've created a system called the Relationship Flywheel, designed to create impact through relationships at scale. And this podcast is a living document of how to do it. So hit subscribe right now. If you want to learn how to get to know people, get them to know you, and build a world-class network. Some episodes will be interviews, some episodes will be regular calls with people building rapport, and some will be tactical advice to teach you how to build your own relationship flywheel and achieve anything you want. Now smash that subscribe button and let's get connected. Welcome to the Chief Executive Connector Podcast. I am Pablo Gonzalez, your Chief Executive Connector. And today we have a guest that I am incredibly, incredibly excited to inhabit his brain and to spend some time in his presence. It is my buddy, J.D. Gershbein, who is a LinkedIn business expert. He is a improvisational technique expert. He is a suave looking gentleman who fancies himself a bit of a fashion icon. At least I fancy him a fashion icon. Good looking guy, well-spoken, always entertaining, always adds value. JD, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you doing? That is a lot to live up to, Pablo. I, if I can get to a tenth of, of what you've oversold our audience on, I think I'm doing well. But is this where I say it's great to be here? Thanks for having me and all that intro yeah, podcast if you'd like do. to yeah 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 okay. this is this is where you see that stuff i'm delighted to be here Let, let's create some content on the fly so let's create value shall we let's do it we are going to be talking about one jd's illustrious history on linkedin and the tactics <laughs> that he has employed to to get build his business and to help others build their business and have some real tactical advice there. We're going to get into JD's experience in improv and how that has been 
paramount to his ability to, to succeed on the platform, to adjust via COVID, and to create great content. And then we're going to nerd out a little bit about content strategy and, and the stuff that JD is, is bringing out that I think is completely unlike everybody else. And I find it fascinating. JD, you know, I didn't prep you for this, man. And I apologize. So that's gonna, okay. I'm at my best when I'm completely unprepared. <laughs> All right. You're going to have to improv a little bit here. JD, my, my podcast is about human connection overall, right? And learning from people. And I think that the quickest way that people connect are two, is twofold. One is if you add value to someone's life, you, you connect with them and they hold you in a high regard forever. The other one is if you share a vulnerability. So I always ask my guest as we start the show to kind of let me in on either something that you're struggling with right now or something that you've struggled with recently. And we can dive into that to, to humanize you and to, and to make, you know, make our person that's listening in their ear and the podcast or watching right now live, see you, see you as a human being and, and somebody that they can relate to. Well, if the pandemic has taught us anything, Pablo and listeners, it's that we are vulnerable and the pandemic has truly exposed human frailty and our incessant need for human connection. And I'm no different. I've kind of navigated the last 12 plus months as we tape here today. We're uh, a little over a year in, into the onset of the pandemic. What have I learned? Uh, what has uh, brought the authenticity out of me? What has made me vulnerable? Similar to what a, a lot of folks are experiencing. I have maneuvered through many online communities. I've reconciled my own professional value. I've thought long and hard about what is it that I truly bring to the table? How am I moving the needle for my clients and students? And, and the incredible challenge of re-engineering an audience, because when you look at these networks, these communities we've built over the last, say, decade, decade plus, we tend to look at these folks as just names or thumbnails on a screen and not personalities with the same foibles and idiosyncrasies as we have. So I think that I've been one to allow the pandemic to bring greater expression out of me, things that I may have held closer to the vest or was guarded about certain things. And, and I'm saying that with a lot more resilience and authenticity and empathy, all of those great characteristics that have kind of jumped to the fore during the pandemic and taking more ownership of my story, I think would be, would be the key here and encouraging others to do the same. I, I have this almost who cares mentality at this point, because I feel that at this stage of the game, we have to learn more about people as potential business partners, as human beings. I love it, man. What, when you say that you were unleashing things that you kind of held closer to the vest before, can you give me an example of something that Perhaps you used to not talk about freely on social media that because of the pandemic or, you know, because of the situation that we're in that you've started opening up more about that you've seen some success with? Well, there's nothing incendiary about it at all. When I started out in the LinkedIn space, I it was a barren wasteland. I mean, there was nobody there. I, I was one of a handful of independent LinkedIn consultants in the world and nobody's phone was ringing and nobody was engaging us for the services uh, that we provide today. So a lot had to happen for me to have a career and fortunately they did. So my, you know, really since 2006, my priority has been to study the social science around this. So when I emerged, when I, when I hit, when I came on the scene, I was a very pragmatic guy. I, I appealed to the corporate sensibilities. I, I was totally into my role as an educator and took it very seriously. And I had to be that guy. I had to come in 
with the bravado and the aplomb and the panache. And I had to educate teams. And I, I was pinching myself because companies that would probably never hire me as an employee were bringing me in for consulting. And my client list, which I kind of never really disclose, was a, a roster of Fortune 500 companies. And I, I mean, they were writing me checks and, and I was achieving results. So again, I was making things happen, totally improvising along the way. And with the pandemic, and even prior to the pandemic, I was just starting to take a few more creative liberties, Pablo. I was starting to let a few more things kind of seep between the cracks, just kind of cracking open the window to my world a little bit, that I, that I kind of was this character, that I do bring a, a bit of quirky sophistication to what I do, that I, that I have this dry sense of humor and this wit. And I, I let it come out more on stage. I let it come out more in the conference rooms, on college campuses wherever I was speaking, I was just injecting more of my personality into what I was doing, which for many years I held back. I just didn't think people were that interested in it. They wanted to learn LinkedIn. Got it. Got it. So it sounds like the the lack of the in-person outlet led you to increasing that piece of your personality that you weren't putting online onto onto your online personality and and, and starting to focus more on what was working person to person connected more this idea that now we're more used to the idea of connecting over screens like we are right now, right? Exactly. And I wasn't the shyest guy on the playground before all this happened. I've always been comfortable in my own skin. And when you go out there as a speaker, if you're going out there as a content creator, a consultant, an advisor, a coach, I mean, you have to be receptive to feedback slash criticism. And I never really let that external noise bother me. I, I was very into what I was doing. I was crafting content from an original exemplary perspective. I didn't pay attention to what other people were doing. I was forging my own path. I was, I was swimming upstream. And w when I did notice what people were doing, it, it seemed like everybody was regurgitating the same thing again. And I again, swam the other way. So I've always been a, a bit of a maverick individualist, Pablo, in the way that I design my programs and the way that I've built the JD framework, so to speak. So what you see here is what you get. It's taken me years in the laboratory of, of sculpting and I, I hope you enjoy the product. I don't know if you know this, JD, but I'm a huge fan of the product. You're very kind. <laughs> All right, man. So I would love to, I'd love to spend two minutes telling me who JD was before LinkedIn showed up on the map. And then we can dive into LinkedIn's have a big, big evolution, man. So I'd love to kind of like live that through your eyes. But we're, you know, what was your career before LinkedIn happened? Well, I've always been around the marketing space. So really since uh, the 1980s, uh, which dates me just a tad, I've always been in marketing and I've always appreciated the message, how to craft it, how to produce it, how to disseminate it and how to capitalize on it. And that's what I've done. I was in a family health marketing environment. My father was a dedicated man of medicine who was one of the most widely published cancer researchers in the world. So I started out in that shadow with a lot of parental expectations to become a doctor, which unfortunately for them, I did not exceed, but my scientific background has equipped me well in what I do. At the time I saw LinkedIn, very honestly, I was meandering around in business. I didn't know where my next client was coming from. I was a bit of a freelancer, but I was also helping people address what was then called search engine optimization, which is today still called search engine optimization, but at a time when it was very different and very cost-effective for people to get on page one of Google in a search outside their name. 
So I was writing copy for websites. I was attending a lot of networking events and meeting more people who were in career transition than who were actually gainfully employed. It was at the headwaters of the Great Recession. Probably not the time to start a new venture, but it was at a networking event where I met LinkedIn. I leaned in, a couple of my colleagues were, were, were looking at it and I, I said, what the hell is this? And they said, oh, it's a social media site for business. Okay, my knowledge of social media was pretty superficial then, but it was, it was during the holidays of 2006 at a time when nobody was answering the phone anyway. So I did the deep dive and really studied this thing. And I mean, I really went deep. I immersed myself in what it was. Back then, it was a very crude representation of what it is today. It's, it, it is a very aesthetic, very vibrant platform today, but it, it wasn't back then. So I kind of decided right then and there, literally right then and there, that this was great. And I created my profile. I designed it as if a, an artist was adding oil to canvas. And I just kind of crafted this piece that was different than anything else I had on the internet. Went out with that, started talking it up, and literally improvised a career, a livelihood, out of just talking to people about how cool I thought it was. I love it, man. I, so I remember, I remember when LinkedIn came onto my radar, it was around that same time, right? Like I, my buddy Naveen Kathuria, who is back then was a lawyer, and now he's like the CEO of like a health tech company. <laughs> he sends me this when I'm using MySpace to pick up chicks online, right? Because I had just moved to because I had just moved to California and it was like my social outlet. And I'm like, oh, a social media for business. I didn't understand it at all. Right. Like mm -hmm. I just saw this as like, well, this is like a resume site. I have a job at the time I was employed, Fortune 500, And I didn't really see I didn't really see the benefit of it as much as just, okay, just another thing. This seems like a trend. I I just threw up a I threw up a profile on there. Back then you were, you said that you were, you created a, a beautifully crafted profile as, mm -hmm. as kind of like, I, now that I've interacted with you enough, I understand that everything that you make has a very keen eye for design and, and it's meant to, it's meant to make you feel something, which I think is really, really cool of, of, of yeah. how you operate. And once you put that there was the, was the beginning of the journey on LinkedIn the idea that when you went to a networking event, you were like the guy showing people the LinkedIn trick where you're like, Hey man, this thing exists. And let me talk you through it. I mean, back then there wasn't a phone app for it, right? Like how was, right. how was the conversation around it? How, tactically, where were you at? Were you reaching out to people on there that you already knew? Were you making new connections on there? Or were you talking to people live that you would then put on there and then create ambassadors for you? Where did it fall in back then? This was also before what we would call LinkedIn strategy really came on the scene. So when I created my profile, which was crude by today's standards. I had to kind of grow into the craft. And, but again, it was enough to show people what's possible on the site. And that's all I've ever tried to do is yeah. show people possibility and let them reimagine themselves as someone on an internet page that can communicate their, their value proposition. And that's really the essence of the LinkedIn profile. At the time, yes, I was networking like a banshee. I was going to everything and everything kind of. But at the same time, when it came time to do my 20 or 30 seconds, I would get up and I had designed a very compelling pitch statement or whatever people are calling it. Your 20 seconds, your 30 seconds, it goes by many names now. And I would create intrigue and I would purposely and purposefully draw attention to myself so that after the event, people would come up to me and they would go, JD, you mentioned the whole LinkedIn thing. You know, I'm taking a look at it. I don't understand it in the least. What, what are your perspectives on that? So 
it literally got to the point where my days were moving from event to event, to encounter to encounter, from interaction to interaction, extolling the merits of LinkedIn, directing people to my profile, and again, inviting them to ask me questions, which turn into like the light bulb going on and saying I could have a career doing this. And I remember there was one one night, I tell this story often in my speaking engagements, where I'm just kind of sitting in bed. I, I did very long days, long nights back then as I was growing my consultancy. And, you know, I'm in there, I'm, I'm having quality time with my wife. She's on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn. And I, I got an email from someone who asked me how much I charge to write a LinkedIn profile. <laughs> and I mean, the livelihood was born. And I started to think this through now as, as, a, as a business owner and as a consultant and as an advisor. So I've, I've always kind of liked that trusted advisor brand equated with me. And, and I truly do work on that level. So the circuitous route to your question is back then it was perceived as a job seeker site, which many people still feel LinkedIn is. And LinkedIn has had to work hard to kind of bring in the business development side of what they do. And that's where I eventually gravitated. So at the point I met LinkedIn, I was doing a lot of work for professionals in career transition, and that dovetailed into a career helping executives, business owners, boutique sales providers, high-performing salespeople, and high-impact corporate contributors. So the evolution, it's, it was very humble at first. A lot of things, again, had to fall into place. The planets aligned just right. And my gosh, the pandemic, which really reinforce the the notion of how we pr- present in the online world fueled the personal branding conversation which I had been in for about a decade and and that's how I self-classify I'm a personal brand strategist using LinkedIn as a medium for change I love it man real qu- I want there's a couple things I want to dive into number 1 do you still remember your 20 to 30 second thing can you do it back then yeah Probably not. I, okay. it, I'm, I'm literally the guy that changes it up every time I stand up. And, you know, as, as, as much as I've spoken in front of huge crowds, huge audiences, thousands of people at once, I've been on network television. I've, I've done all sorts of really cool things on stage. But that 20 seconds where the person next to me is, and I know I'm next, and they're like finishing up, and I know I've got to go. I mean, the whole shot, man, my, my palms sweat, my heart starts to thump out of my shirt. And, and then I stand up and I, I don't know what happens. Again, improvisation. And I just deliver something and I hope it's on target. Do you deliver something on target to convince in 20 seconds or do you deliver something on target to open up curiosity? What is your, what is your goal? But with emphasis on the latter, I I really have been in the business of trying to draw positive attention to myself. And that's certainly opened up through the pandemic, because as we are exposing our frailties and confessing our vulnerabilities, we open up more. And I've become much more human-centered in my work. I, I try to veer away from strategy and tactics as much as I can and explore the exquisite serendipity and randomness of LinkedIn because we can only be prepared so much. A, a lot of things happen outside our control and we have to react to them or we are prompted by the system uh, to take some kind of action. And if we do, it becomes a potential for business opportunity and brand building. If we don't, it's an error of omission. 
we didn't pay attention. We didn't heed what the system was giving us. So my teaching these days is largely neuroscientific. It's process-based. It's about paying attention to the stimuli that LinkedIn is throwing in front of you, but it's also taking cues from the real world and up-leveling in front of the webcam and being really good about how you speak and show up on Zoom calls and 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 your own content videos. You do a lot of content video. I, I've, I've watched. I've watched your camera presence kind of get better and better and better through the pandemic with each time. And that's that's the whole basis of anything, isn't it? Rehearsal, repeating, and just going out there with confidence and really kind of taking ownership of your story and being puffy chested when the when the electronics are on and delivering your message with absolute clarity and context. I love how you describe that. I mean, you're essentially describing purposeful practice, right? Like any the, what what anybody needs on the route to mastery is kind of what you describe. It's it's have a thesis, practice, you know, practice it, execute it, reflect on it, improve it, right? Absolutely. And, and continue going on, man. So what is right now, what are things that are working right now? Like you you mentioned a couple of things of how you differentiate yourself on Zoom calls, which is the number one way. When you did this thing right here on the first Zoom call that we ever got on, I was immediately, you, you got me forever, right? So what what is that equivalent on LinkedIn, JD? What, what, are you, what are you seeing right now that are the techniques that make somebody stand out on LinkedIn, or at least the techniques that are working for you that you bring into the framework that you, that you teach? Can you give us a couple practical tips? You know, I, I've read the, a lot of the literature on how to craft the LinkedIn profile. I've contributed to it. I understand how to convey a value proposition in, in a very short period of time with words on a page and with images surrounding those words and these visual, these lexical cues that, that build brand. It's, it's a very difficult and very challenging model to follow. And I've improvised around it like I've done everything else. So I feel I'm a leader by example in the field. I answered a call of leadership many years ago and accepted it and have built on it and have become a student of facilitative leadership and servant leadership. So I really work with my clients on more of a conversational level than ever before to help them develop what they need to present themselves. So I don't know going in what the goal is. I I do know the end game. They either want to build a book of business, get more clients, uh, get a better job or a new job. And these are the outcomes we play with. And so few profiles really ensconce the subject within those outcomes. And everything I've ever done has been outcome driven Mm. and it's been customer centric. So I try to put my clients into the shoes or eyes or heart rhythm of the people they most want to serve or aspire to serve or the employers that may be bringing them in to work for them. And everything from there radiates out. And as opposed to wasting time telling people how cool I am. And and for people who are out there who have first person their LinkedIn profile into just this, this ego-driven piece on themselves, remove your ego from the equation and focus on the people you serve. And that will help you craft a bigger, better profile. So that was a realization I made truly at the start of the pandemic, but was starting to inch my way toward that even before then, where I was saying, okay, my clients don't care what I've done. They truly don't care what I've done. It, it should be running in the background and they should have an idea of what I've accomplished, but they don't care. They, they want to know how they can extract value from LinkedIn. What's it going to take to build this nebulous thing called a brand on LinkedIn? 
And that's where I focused because I've got a pretty good foothold on what it takes to succeed on LinkedIn. It is a best practices approach, but everybody's unique and everybody's different. And the solutions have to be tailored to meet people with respect to their own learning curves. Because in the end, young Pablo, it's not about what I know. It's about what you've brought to the work. I love it, man. We're now 24 minutes into this conversation and you've peppered in language. Time flies. Time flies when when we're having fun, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. You're right, JD. I, I, if it wasn't because I'm obsessively making sure that I want to hit on certain points, I would have no <laughs> idea what time is happening. But you've hit, you've hit a couple of keynotes that are right in line with, to me, the two fields of thought and execution around messaging, marketing, business building that I'm really, really passionate about these days. Starting with when you first found LinkedIn, you became an expert in LinkedIn, not by telling everybody that you're an expert in LinkedIn, but by evangelizing the the opportunity in LinkedIn, right? Like by yes. by being somebody that is, to me, this is category design 101, right? Like you, your first thing is to develop a, a point of view of LinkedIn is this super powerful tool that everybody is underutilizing. Look how cool this thing is. This thing's awesome. You weren't saying anything about yourself. You were evangelizing this opportunity. And ergo, you got known as the guy that had the solution for how to how to solve that issue. And then the other piece that you just mentioned right now is this start with the end in mind piece, right? Like when you are creating a marketing campaign, when you are creating a LinkedIn profile, anything that you're trying to accomplish people fall in love with the tactics and they fall in love with this, like, how do I start without thinking, what does it need to look like at the end? And then you improvise through it, right? Like that is, we've talked about this, that's account-based marketing, right? Is this field of study that isn't driven by how many leads you create. It isn't driven by, you know, what you're bringing in on top of the funnel. It's driven by how many sales you close. And if you're talking to the people that you actually want to be talking to, right? So, so yeah. again, in your, in your marketing mind, you are going down these paths I would say that I reverse engineer everything to your point. I'm, I'm the guy that deconstructs and reconstructs. Strategy and tactics will only take you so far on LinkedIn. And even in the, when we talk about the, the topic that we ideally pulled folks into this broadcast with, the idea of how you improvise the network you've built, the communities you're building. And that, that was a huge shift for me was viewing my network, not as a network. Network is a very dry, mechanical, almost robotic term. Community is a vibrant term. It's a human term. But now more and more, we're kind of re-engineering the community to a audience. I'm sorry, an audience. I have to put the N in there when you're starting the next word with a vowel. So an audience. So I look at my network now as something that it, yes, it is my community. It's my audience, but it's my tribe. And the pandemic has truly shed the light on tribal seeking behaviors and how we achieve representation and status within the communities we're building. You've, you've networked well. I know that. We're all in a lot of organizations and networking. If we're in this milieu, we're, we're going to events, we're meeting people. We've been assigned into very awkward breakout rooms at times where we've had to kind of fight for some kind of connection. But you know what? It's all about audience building and finding your tribe and finding your place within the tribe. So to your thought and to dovetail on it, yes, I reverse engineer everything and reverse engineering the outcome, the goal, the objective and bringing everything back and then forward towards it, that's what creates the profile. That's what builds a personal brand. And that's what drives the assembly of a network slash community slash audience. 
JD, I think we just made the home run micro content piece out of this speech, right? All right. So what are you reverse engineering right now, JD? What, what is it that you are working towards? What is your North Star right now? Well, always running in the background, Pablo, and hopefully it shows, is my love of broadcasting. I've been a broadcaster since I was 14 years old. My first day of freshman year in high school, I was fortunate that my high school had a radio station and I joined it and was on the air within a week. And any fear of broadcasting or the microphone had dissolved. Uh, and I started to get comfortable with my voice, which sounded probably more like this than anything else, and and just kind of grew into the field. I, I wanted to go into professional communications and broadcasting, television, radio. I continued it through college, but was pulled toward a medical career. But But those skills have always been running in the background. And as latent as they were, they awoke when I became a social media strategist. And when I started doing LinkedIn, I was one of the first people to put a video out there on LinkedIn back in 2009 at a time when nobody knew how to do it. I somehow was able to got, I got a hold of the slide share methodology. It was a very arduous process back then. It's nothing like it is today where you can just link or you can create a native video and put it right in there. But few people had it. And I remember being at events and people were, were talking about that. How'd you do it? First of all, how, how much did it cost? I mean, who was, who was going out there and, and buying video at the time? Well, you know, you develop good relationships and sometimes people will do good things for you as long as it's designed to elevate all profiles. And, and I did that. I did some video work that I bartered out some LinkedIn support for on the, on the behest. I, I would say, look, we're going to promote this on LinkedIn. I'm starting to build an audience on this platform. Let's, let's see what we can do together. So that was running in the background. So I'm re-engineering myself toward the broadcaster that I envisioned myself to be when I was in my teens and through college and launching two podcasts as we go to broadcast here today. I had a live show developed prior to the pandemic, which I'm hoping to resurrect when we go back to, say, a hybrid environment. And maybe again, when people can put the coronavirus behind them, they have two rounds of vaccinations on board and they can go out and say hi to each other again. And uh, that's in my sights. I'm cutting content that is much more cutting edge than ever before. I've scripted and storyboarded a short film, which I'm currently editing for release. So, and I'm doing some things creatively, developing characters that I hope to, to pitch to a major content curator like a Netflix or an Amazon Prime to show people how outward expression drives outcomes which is something I know is near and dear to you. Anytime the webcam goes on, anytime the microphone is hot, we have a chance to build our brand. We have a chance to do something tremendous for the viewer or listener. And why don't we optimize that? How can we optimize that? Rhetorical question, but one I'm just kind of putting out there. No, I love it, man. I love, I love where your head's at with all this stuff. And honestly, man, I, it's so inspiring to me to see you living this story out because it's very similar to what I'm living out. But I've just realized that I've been doing this right. Like I, 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 I just in the last three years, also propensity for performing arts, also heavily discouraged by my parents, mm-hmm. went into always groomed to be an executive, right? So like lived that life for 15 years, fell upwards a bunch of times, and never really was into it, and. What I didn't realize was that tapping into my love for creativity as a performer, as a, you know, I always thought that my people skills were my creative outlet. And as I tap into those more and more, I realized that, okay, if you start tapping into it one-on-one, it works at one level. If you start tapping into it one to few, it's at another level. If you start tapping into it one to many, 
now we are really talking about this harnessing the power of the stage thing. Yeah. What, you, you bring up a terrific point. And for anybody out there who catches wind of our broadcast, who is raising a child or who was the product of, of parents that wanted them to be something. And here was plan A, kid. And, they, and there was no plan B. I don't speak about my arrival at applied improvisation as anything that I took up because I thought it was really neat or cool. I've been improvising since childhood. And the key driver of my, my improvisational mindset was when I broke free of, of the parental expectations of becoming a physician and literally created myself out of thin air. I, I, I had no identity back then. I was a kid that, that probably was a letdown to his parents at the time. Well, actually, my father, my mom always supported me. But, and I grew to understand my father's perspective because all he wanted for me was success. But at the same time, he never veered from the position of just, you know, son, you're going to be a doctor. That's all there is to it. Oh, but dad, I have all these other creative outlets and I like this. I like this. I want to explore. No, it was, you're on this track. Here's where you're going. And once I broke free of that, I saw my own personal autonomy come into focus. And I thought, all right, there's no more shackles. There's, there's this, it, it, there's nothing before me, but open road and sky and horizon. And here I go. What do I do? I don't know. And, and when you need it, you seem to find it. We're all talking about influencing people, finding our influence. You find it under duress and you find it when you need it the most. When you stare at a keyboard, wondering what the hell you're going to write, somehow, somewhere from some source, it comes to you. And you're better for it because it's something that you created and nobody was over your shoulder expecting you to create it. Nailed it, man. Nailed it. I, I Did you find, before you tapped into this stuff, did you, were you also often in the headspace of why am I not more productive? Why do I leave so much on the table? Did this, did this how did this, the unshackling, how did it manifest for you? The unshackling was that I thought I could be a much, much more animated speaker on stage. I, I went back to the second city in here in Chicago in 2017 to do some individual work to up-level my solo performance. And from there, you know, just getting the vibe of second city, I had taken classes back there in the late 1980s when it was cool to say that you were at the second city taking classes, even though it was nothing like it is today. Today, well, as we sit here and tape, it's been sold and it's going to be re-engineered and, and rebranded to a point. But when I came back to Second City, I wanted to just continue my study of humor, of improv, of sketch, of media production. I, I wanted to just have an even greater, more dimensional and textured outflow as to who I was. I thought I was a pretty good speaker. I mean, I made it to the TEDx stage. I would always evaluate very, very well at conferences that I spoke at. But I thought that I was leaving some performance out there on the stage. And that when I, when I walked off to thunderous applause, that there was still something more I could have provided. I, I'm the speaker that literally says, hey, I forgot something. Can I just go back out there and tell them one, one or two more things? So I was becoming my inner critic and, and my inner critic. And then at Second City, when I started getting back into long form and short form and bringing more yes and into my delivery and methodology, that's when things changed. And since then, I'm, I'm more of an astute listener. I'm finally attuned to the 
pain points of my clients. And I've developed some techniques that help them get through some of those tough points and help them reframe what they've been doing. And I think improv gives us a beautiful way to reframe what we've been doing. You just talked about the yes and, right? Like that's the one tenant of of improv that I'm very familiar with. The idea that whatever someone's giving, it's never, no, let's go somewhere else. It's always yes and add to it. Yes. And it feels like culture yes, is and. catching up with that. Yes and, yeah. right? It, feel, it feels like culture is catching up with that, right? It feels... It feels in the lexicon of entrepreneurship, this like world of abundance and not a world of scarcity and all these other things are are really tying into that core tenet of improv that is whatever life has given you, you can take it and better it. I'll and give you- an example that yeah. illustrates that point perfectly from a LinkedIn perspective. The, the, the true merger of LinkedIn and applied improvisation is at the point of invitation and acceptance. When someone puts out an invitation to connect and that that invitation is accepted, it almost becomes a great what now type of proposition. And so many first degree connections on LinkedIn will just go dark. You never hear from these folks again. And it's as as if you're rationalizing the invitation to begin with. Why did they invite me to connect? What was the modus operandi to connect with me? So applied improv when it's overlaid on that type of scenario helps us expand the conversation. And I've looked at that as my own personal exercise in applied improv is when someone connects with me on LinkedIn, they're not off the hook. In fact, they've got more hoops to jump jump through before I accept a huge piece of, of the LinkedIn equation and of the improv equation. So by getting better at listening, you're able to extend conversations. You're able to extract value out of these conversations. You're able to seed conversations and get them to the next level. But again, most people don't undertake that because they just accept the invitation to connect and go dark. So I'm the guy that's not going dark on you. I'm, I'm the one that's coming back with the thank you note, with the, with the touch points, with the let's get this to a Zoom call. Let's see where we're at, we're at with this. Who's got a collaborative mindset? What can we do for the greater good? All those things that you try to get people into a, a, a one-on-one focused M-to-M, mind-to-mind conversation with you. Improv is key. Improv is life. Man, I love that. I love that outlook on it. I love the personal challenge of bettering the relationship in some way, right? When somebody reaches out, because it is true, man. So, so many people think that just the connection on LinkedIn is the end point when it's really just the beginning. And when someone lobs you a ball, it is you know, in volleyball, there's this term called better the ball, right? Like when you receive the serve, you're trying to pass it to somebody in a way that they can set it for you easily, right? So you're trying to better from like a tough serve to an easy set. When somebody, when somebody's passes to you to set, even if it's a tough pass for the set, you're trying to take that set and make it real easy for them to hit, right? Like you're always trying to better the ball. And I love this idea of the LinkedIn request or the connection request, you seeing it as this personal challenge, personal opportunity to, to better the ball, right? Like, where do we go from here? What's the next step? Buddy, you're not off the hook. I, lo- I, I love that whole outlook, man. I want to get into, I want to get into how you see content right now, right? Like the stuff that you're, that you're about to put out and innovating the game as somebody that's, as somebody that's been on a lot of live stages, right? You said you had a TEDx talk already. I'm right now applying for my TEDx Jacksonville talk. I hope I get that. You've been on live stages in front of tons of people, and now you are making content that content. has the has the ability to scale 
to large crowds, but it's a very different interaction. Can you tell me from your perspective, being on stage and speaking and how you perceive that the audience receives you versus live stages versus the content that you're making? Is it a similar effect? Is it a completely different thing? Where do you see the similarities and the differences and kind of like how you wield that weapon in, in, the, fa- in the favor of your mission? Is there a word that's being used more in today's parlance in business than content? We're, we not, are not through my content. mouth. We are our content and content is obviously a courier of brand. Uh, our brand is in, it's encapsulated within every piece of content we produce. And let's separate what content is. Content is, is outward expression, but it's not just about putting your expertise out there in front of a LinkedIn audience or a Facebook audience or an Instagram following. It, it's about Every email you write, every voicemail you leave, every direct message you compose, everything you put out there, every image that you select about yourself has to be culled carefully from from groupings. And you have to parse yourself out there at a rate that's acceptable to people. You don't want to oversaturate the market with you much as you'd like to be everywhere, ubiquitous. But with ubiquity comes selectivity. And what I've always done always from day one is make sure that what I put out there is not only of impeccable quality that shows meticulous attention to detail, but that it uniquely identifies me. I don't work off templates. I don't strategize in advance. It's what comes to me in a particular day or a particular hour or at a particular moment. And I'm present within that moment. So I'm preparing that content as if I were engaging with it. What would I do? Would I just do myself a solid and put a like on it? Would I engage with commentary? Would I share it? Would I tag people in it? Tagging slash potting has become a huge practice in artificially exposing our content to a greater audience. But at the same time, when it's done right and we evangelize ourselves properly, others will want to evangelize us as well. And that's how we develop brand advocacy and create what I call a personal brand culture around ourselves. Wow, JD, very sophisticated terminology. Can you, can, can you simplify that for us? Absolutely. Our content speaks to our brand, directly to our brand. It is what we can control. And the way we engage on it, when we start to think in terms of, of how this is going to convert, which is a very salesy term, our content converts by bringing us into the minds, hearts, and psyches, and viscera, of people so that they know who we are, so that they know what we do, the way they know what products we sell, what services we provide, what niche we're trying to drive. And that way we seed conversations and opportunities. So content is, as they say, king, but the context with which we distribute our client and manufacture that that content, manufacture and distribute that content is what's king. I got muddled up in my words. You see, that's the beauty of the pandemic. You can, you can let this stuff go with mistakes and have the opportunity to correct it. Agreed, man. Listen, I so much of everything that you just said, I love. I love. You know, I think for guys like you and I, and ladies that may also share the same opinion, the idea of making content is so natural because we're used to seeing ourselves as content. Right. Like I, like I never really, I had never really kind of like put that together until you said it right now. Right. It's the the idea that I, we are our content, right. The way that you show up when I'm talking to my wife sometimes and we're having this interesting discussion, I'm just like, this is content, you know, like this is awesome. (laughs) Her, her talking about some content. 
Yeah, yeah, right? Like everything, everything, everything is content, right? Like it's just a matter of how, how, mu- how much legs the content can have, right? A conversation between two people is a type of content that lives in your memory and, and you're able to apply it and that content can affect your life. A conversation on a stage is a, is a piece of content that's not being recorded is a piece of content of one to many people that can have a certain amount of impact. A conversation like ours right now that is recorded is a whole nother piece of content, right? Because now this has the ability to be the conversation between you and I, the conversation between you, uh, Robert and I, who's one of the attendees here in our in our panel. When we chop it up, when I share this thing as a podcast, I get a hundred plus episodes per download. So that a hundred people are gonna also be able to be impacted by it. When we make the small pieces of micro content of you saying some brilliant stuff and maybe cutting out a little bit of that content, go, 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 stuff that just happened with you. Now that that has a that becomes very easily shareable and commentable and 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 it starts to grow these different types of legs that lead to impact, that lead to magnifying that beautiful terminology that you just said that is that that the way we are converting on content is by bringing us into the mind and hearts of the people that we're trying to serve True. and clarifying what we what we're able to help them with and help them achieve their goals man like like I never yeah. I never saw the root cause of it the idea of thinking that everything that you do and you yourself are the content it's just it's just context around it that makes it different and allows it yeah. to perform differently in the minds and hearts of people. Yeah, and we're always curating the exhibit on ourselves. And I, I look at every opportunity, every networking event, every time I'm in a breakout room, every time I'm doing a virtual event, what, whatever the case may be, that's my brand on the line. And I can choose to be exemplary in how I go about building it, or I can hide behind silence or turn my video off or unmute my mic and I'm I'm not that person. I'm the person who 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 is wide open, receptive, making eye contact with the camera, hence my my viewer. And you know, a few knowing a few things about being good in front of the camera are and the microphone are really helpful right now. It, we do so many self-sabotaging acts out there right now and inferior content is one of them. And I would implore anyone who's at at wherever they are in the content journey right now, it's all about having the voice and freeing yourself up to do it and and doing what many other people won't. When we talk about those who are marketing content on a regular basis, it it isn't that large a percent of of the population online because a few people are kind of held back, whether it's their own personal inhibitions, imposter syndrome and the like, or they just don't feel like they're willing to, to put themselves out there in, in a way that they can be taken at face value, or they haven't acculturated to the online world, or they're, they're imprisoned within their reptilian brains and they don't want to venture out of their comfort zone. There's a lot of reasons why people just kind of self-handicap and, and don't put out content. But for those that do, and there are more that are, that are doing it, it becomes a, a very gratifying piece of, of online activity. And that's what bolsters our online presence. Hence, builds our brands. And there's no other way. Interestingly, people call me and they'll still say, JD, can you help me build a brand on LinkedIn? And I I will tell them, I'd like to tell them, well, no, I can't. That's completely, completely up to you. But I can certainly help you forge the path and I can provide trusted thought partnership along that path. 
But when it comes to the idea of building brand, the misnomer is that you would consult with a personal brand strategist to do that. When in reality, it's about unleashing the expression within you, finding your own uh, channels for disseminating the, the work and fronting this with the supreme conviction in your abilities that, yes, this is attributable to you. This is what you believe in. This is your product, your service, your skill set, your expertise, and let people make up their own minds about you. Love it, man. Yeah, I agree. Finding your voice is so... A lot of what we've talked about in this conversation has been about finding your voice, right? It has been about from delineating between the medical career your parents wanted to the career that you want mm -hmm. to finding something that you think is really, really cool and evangelizing it and, and then finding a customer because you've evangelized it so much that people start paying you to work within it to yes. now this content journey, right? How the way that you talk about improv, to me, it's all, it's all reps, right? Like it's, it's all about reps and iteration. So the, the more, the more content you make, the more practice you get at finding your voice, the more feedback you get from people on, on what you're putting out and how many likes and how many comments and, and the DMS that you get about, Hey man, this was really, really cool. Or you all of a sudden see somebody in your network share something that you wrote. They're like, man, I didn't even know that person was paying attention, right? Like all those iterations and, and, and moments to opportunities to refine what you're saying truly allows you to find your voice, which as we've discussed in this conversation is what's going to bring you the ultimate joy and fulfillment and, and professionally success, right? Yeah. And everybody engineers their own voice. I, I mean, it, the way that it sounds, the way that in, it, it, it creates inflection points in, in your discussion. And everybody has that, just that kind of baseline surface level of pain that they're willing to share. And what I found is during the pandemic, that as I moved more of that upward, and I wouldn't say I've had a life of pain, but we all have pain. The greatest anything comes from a place of pain, whether sure. it's whether it's marketing, whether it's art, everything. And the more I wrote about myself over the waterline, you know, the, here's, here's the big, you know, iceberg theory, which I, I believe in, you know, most of what we are, who we are, what anything is, is below. You don't really see it, but all you see is this, this top piece there. So what I, what I presented to the world prior to say 2017 was one version of myself from 2017 on, I started when all this best version conversation started happening, I, I bought into that. I, I bought into that wholeheartedly. And I said, you know what? F it. I'm going to put my best presentation out there. This is me. This is unadulterated me. And no, there's no pretense about what I'm putting out. I'm operating within my authenticity. And who would have thought authenticity would have become a coachable skill, for gosh sakes. So, you know, I, I'm in that conversation. I love that conversation. But I've just grown more heart-centered about what I do. And meeting people from a place of service, not trying to sell them anything, but just trying to be a, a, a welcoming pair of ears. And I mean, my gosh, look at these things, man. Uh, there's a lot of ear space in there. So look at those things. And, and that's what people want right now, I have found, especially through the pandemic, is they want to know they're on the right track. Uh, they want to know that what they're doing is within their, their scope and their range. And I give them positive feedback and not critiques like so many people in social media, unfortunately, do. They will harp on the mistakes that people are making. And I, I've never bought into that philosophy. If you tell people they're doing something wrong or they may implode their careers, they're not going to do it. And that's why a lot of folks have shied away from social networking. I love that outlook on life, man. And I got to say in that spirit, 
in case our friends are not paying attention right now or watching this video or, or, or listening, you are an expert at changing cadence and tonality and dramatic pauses in order to focus one's attention on what you're doing and, and, and keep what you're saying to be extremely consumable from a, from a learning standpoint, right? Like your ability to change your expression and tone of voice at a key moment, to take that dramatic pause, to lean in or lean out. Man, I really admire that, that trade in you, man. Like you're, you're just such a masterful community. I also want to give Robert Snyder a little bit of love here in the in the, in the chat. He's, he puts in, there's a fun cliche, content is king, but context is queen. And we know who wears the pants. <laughs> I like that a lot. And uh, meet your customer slash audience where they are, right? Like this is this is the idea of putting in that extra effort to to communicate and to and to add to see yourself as a as a piece of content, right? And see yourself as a way that that allows the person to learn, which you do extraordinarily well, right? Like this, like your your ability to to communicate and 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 with inflections of your voice and dramatic pauses, I think really adds to the lasting memory of what you're saying, which I think it is on the benefit of everybody involved. It's in your benefit because it makes your brand show up better. It's in the person listening because they get to absorb the information and uh, and anybody else watching. It's just a lot of fun, right? So JD, I want to get into the lightning round. You ready? The lightning round. All right. For man. cash prizes. Cash prizes for JD. All right, JD, what is your favorite restaurant? What do you order there? And uh, where is it? My favorite restaurant is a place not far from my house. I live in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. So this is probably more of a plug for them than it is outward expression for me. Emil's, Emil's Sports Bar. They just make the greatest food. It doesn't matter what kind of day they're having or what kind of day I'm having. Whatever I order, it's going to be off the charts great. Awesome. So this is meant to be like a, you know, I'm I'm going to take all of these. I have to do like, this quicker. I, I can't give. No, no, no. When I say lightning round, I just mean it's the same okay. five. Qu- it's okay. it's more of a canned question segment than a lightning round. All right. <laughs> it's the quick hit format of the show. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, cause I want to, I, I want to take all these like food recommendations and turn it into like a, Hey, if you're in this city, go here. Hey, if you're in this city, go here. Right. This is just. Well, little- if you ever find yourself in Mundelein, Illinois, Emails right there on Route 45. That's the place. Folks. Hey, I'm on the line. All right. What what content are you most into right now? Like, be it what book are you reading that you're really into? Whose podcast you're into? What YouTube channel? What Netflix and series? What Netflix ter- series you're into? What's what's informing your brain for now? I'm multitasking my brains out. I'm I'm giving myself more exposure to more media than ever before. I'm reading a lot of books on applied improv right now, and I'm reading some books on humor, on the the psychology and neuroscience of humor, various authors, multiple authors. What am I watching? I love watching documentaries. I have a documentary, I have a documentary film mind. That's how I kind of approach life. Everything's almost behind the scenes at this stage for me. So I love a good documentary. I'm a cinemaphile, so I love good movies. Actually, I think the right word is cinephile. I, I love a great movie with a solid linear beginning, middle and end. And um, just edifying myself at every turn, trying to work that into my day. As a cinephile, do you have a top three favorite movies of all time list? I do. A top three? Please. So you, you want or, me to catch three films. That's a yeah. hard one. Uh, there, there are films that kind of rotate in and out of my top 10. But when you get up to that top three, that's the hierarchy or the Mount Rushmore, as I like to call it, the top four. I, I find that the movies I keep coming back to, I, I love the I love the mob genre. So Goodfellas is a great movie. It's probably my number one at this point in time. The Shawshank Redemption, 
It is a fantastic film that ropes me in every time. I love Glen Gary, Glen Ross. I think that should be on every EVP of sales training curriculum. Just screen that movie weekly for people. Pulp Fiction is another movie I really love. And, you know, pretty much anything by the Coen brothers at this point has to be in there as well. So Fargo, Big Lebowski, one of my favorites has to be Barton Fink. In fact, I'd have to put that as a, a Mount Rushmore piece only because it's just, it's just a heady, no pun intended for those of you who've seen the film, a heady film about writer's block which is something I've explored in years past. All right, so. I gotta check. I've never even heard of Fink, so I'm going to check that out for sure. What is something that you were sure about in your 20s that you no longer believe? What is something that I'm sure about in my 20s that I no longer believe? That is a great question. And it puts me on the spot and it forces me into working one part of my brain while I'm still trying to maintain eye contact with the camera and give folks some semblance that I, that, I, that I will know what I'm talking about when I deliver. Something that I believed in my 20s, which is no longer true, and that is there is a linear path to our lives. We are more nomadic and more migratory than ever before. And it's something that I brought into raising my own kids from, from my own background in that, hey man, whatever makes you happy, whatever you have your heart intent upon doing, that's where your movement is into the direction of those goals. I didn't believe that in my 20s. That was an extraordinary showcase of how to improv live on stage. Just keep talking through it. The answer's right around the corner. Zero, it's going to flow from my brain to my tongue. And it did, right? It went it from did. it went from it went from this excruciatingly painful <laughs> to a beautiful swan landing. It was wonderful. Really well. You want to learn you want to learn how to get out of your comfort zone quickly. Applied improv will help. Force yourself into those yeah, uncomfortable good. scenarios and, and you will be forced to find your influence. Absolutely. I like got any it, others? I like got any others? Yeah, or yeah. is the audience like saying, okay, I've had enough of these quick hit questions yet? We got two got more, more and two more? two more. Two more. What is your number one piece of advice that you either like to give everybody or the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Wow. The best piece of advice question. Uh, a very popular breakout room question these days too. The only... Well, the advice that I like to give, and, and this comes from the wisdom of, of, I guess, being as old as I am, is that you, you want to start paying attention to the effect that you are having on others through your story. And what I've done is I learned that when I deliver myself in certain ways that I wasn't as well received in the past. And I have learned how to express myself in ways that I believe compel and are of interest to others. Because I'm, I'm truly an explorer at this point. I do not have all the answers. I am not an expert. I never talk about myself as being a thought leader in, in the first person. But I talk about myself as accruing some wisdom through the years and having a, a depth and breadth of knowledge that can only come through thousands of hours of experience and would never make any bold claim that I could not live up to. And I think that's a problem that folks who younger folks would have is that they're they're they feel they're invincible they feel they're on top of the world and you know what it's okay to have a few chinks in the armor and the advice that i that i have received uh, just pick one or the other You're the, best, the, the best advice i ever received and i write about this is yep. protect your intellectual property and that came from my mom and i write about this in my blog about my mom where she had conveyed the story to me about simon and schuster who were the creators of the superman comic book franchise who got built out of tens, if not hundreds of million dollars of potential royalties 
because they just let down their guard. They, they sold their idea to the wrong folks at a, a price well below market value and were phased out of so much revenue. And that is good advice. And I would tell that to anybody who's at whatever level of the thought leadership journey they're on or the content marketing journey they're on, protect what you put out there. Make sure that if people are liking it and sharing it, that it's attributable to you because content theft is no different than having someone walk into your house and lifting your TV off the wall. Got it. Never had that one before. That's good. JD, before our last question, what a, this is your, your stage, man. Promote whatever you want to promote. Where's this, where's this amazing piece of, can you give us a little sneak peek into the content you're making? Is that not ready to share? Where, where do we find you? Where do we connect with you? I'm out there, folks. You can, you can find me on all of the platforms of choice these days. I live on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is always the best way to review me and begin a conversation with me, but personalize that invitation and let me know why you'd like to connect with me. But you know, I'm specifically, it, it's time dated because if I tell you that I'm doing something and I'm launching this and that, and it doesn't come to fruition, my gosh, then I'm going to look back on this content we created and say, outdated. Boy, I wish I didn't say that at that time. So I, I've got a lot in the works, like a lot of folks. I'm one of those people like, like you, Pablo, I think you can relate. We've chatted about this and so many folks in the, in the audience can relate. I wake up and my mind's going a mile a minute. I get up early. I put in long days in front of the Zoom. I'm writing a book. I'm launching podcasts. I'm scripting films. I'm designing an online course. I'm doing pretty much everything that folks in our situation are trying to do or want to do or have scratched the surface in doing. And I've made progress and sometimes I've stalled and I have to go back and revisit it. So literally in terms of applied improvisation, I wake up and I don't have a plan. I, I, sometimes the first email I, I see will dictate the course of my day. And when I do have time, I'm always writing. I make it a point to add about two to 3,000 words in my archives every day. And hopefully with the idea of coming back and putting them somewhere, whether it's in the book, whether it's in the podcast, whether it's part of my talk tracks in a program like yours, I continue to prepare and fortify myself and create the illusion that I'm doing something right. Illusion created. JD, last question that I ask everybody is where do you find community? You know, I'm finding community wherever I go at this point. In the online world, I, in the insular environment of, of the internet, I've really found myself. I, I, again, I was struggling with who I was and the internet kind of paved the way for that. And when I created my LinkedIn account, I was well on my way to establishing an identity in the business universe, which I never felt I have. And when you feel like you've accomplished something and you've brought yourself from a point A to a point B, you can now look to point C. And I'm constantly trying to find my point C. I'm, I'm at a solid point B right now. And I ain't never stopping growing, never stopping learning, never stopping communicating to people. And I'm in the business of meeting good human beings wherever they come from. And ideally, accepting them into my community. Ideally, they've accepted me into theirs. We become parts of each other's tribes and we can collaborate and work for the greater good. And that's where the world goes round. JD, I'm so happy to feel that we are in our tribe together, man. Like you have been a, uh, a revelation to me, man, right? Like just from, from, from the, the moment I saw you show up in, in Frank again's uh, networking group, I knew there was something about you that I, that I connected with immediately. At first it was like your flair, but it's very clear to me that we see the world from 
from similar perspectives and and to think that to think that I can say that and 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 see how it manifests in someone like yourself is very inspiring to me of of who I can be when you know in a couple of years when I when I when I reach your level of experience and and whatnot and and I just I'm extremely extremely grateful for our friendship man like I I just think you're the coolest and I'm happy to have you in my life and I'm pumped we got to do this and I'm hoping that this continues and I keep adding value to your life as you have added to mine man thank you thanks for doing you will this. and I will leave you and the listeners with one final thought slash quote and that is this is a favorite of mine because well. Quite frankly, I conceived it and I've put it out there as content. No one is everyone's cup of tea. Strive to become an acquired taste. Fini. I love it, man. The key to building your relationship flywheel will rely in your ability to design and build your own stage where you can have conversations with people, getting to know them understanding their value, and sharing it to the world. This is the service that I offer, and I offer it to $100 million companies where we're setting record-breaking sales goals with it. If you want to know more about that, go to connectwithpablo.com. If you're just an individual that wants to build it, subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my email list on my website, Because coming soon is a community where I'm going to teach this to you personally. Go to connectwithpablo.com.